Hello and welcome to the Uncapped Podcast, brought to you by Roast House Pub, one of Frederick's finest craft beer and culinary destinations, where great people come to drink amazing beer. Visit them to track their taps and menu at roasthousepub.com, or download the digital pour app to track what's on tap. This is episode 120, and I'm your host, Chris Sands. Today, we're in the beautiful Union Collective in the corner that is occupied by Baltimore Spirits Company. We have talked to them multiple times, but this is the first time that we're talking to them as Baltimore Spirits Company, Because, and we're joined by Max Lentz, possibly also joined by the elusive Eli, um, who has been let out of the barrel cage and is... We're in the barrel cage. He's, he's scampering about, but we don't know if... Uh, if if we'll be joined by him and possibly from next door, uh, John Zervitz Correct <laughs> nailed it uh, from Union, which will be then we will finally have completed collecting all of the owners of uh, collecting Union. the collective, yeah, yeah. of uh, Union. Since we've we've talked to Adam, we've talked to Kevin, but uh, just like Eli, John has been elusive to the Uncapped podcast, so. Thank you for hosting us, Max. Yeah, welcome. Happy to have you here. On this uh, beautiful, snowy day that... Uh, mm-hmm. well, I know you guys like to do on-set, like an uh, on-site podcast. It's our favorite you're thing. you begging me to come down <laughs> here, so... Yeah. Uh, and I only got yelled at by Graham a couple times uh, driving in the snow to get here, so it's... it's a little weird outside. <laughs> <laughs> As we pass people in ditches... Uh, wrecks that front ends of cars had been removed i drove two blocks to get here and uh everyone's sliding all over the place it was terrifying so and it's probably the last time we talked to you was when must epic have been last came out. summer it was after epic that was no march last year yeah probably around there so a lot has changed since then um you were planning out this space but you hadn't moved in yet actually i think you were like in between whenever we talked um so I you I have, talked to you maybe right before epic came out and brought epic and that was the focus then yeah. we had a follow-up sometime over summer um possibly somewhere we were closed something like june to september okay and that was the main build out here so since we've talked you've uh you have a new location that is beautiful um and you changed your name we did indeed we are the baltimore spirits company now so is that um i assume that's just based on you produce more than whiskey right so there's kind of a we still really the name the ring of baltimore whiskey company is still lovely and originally it was a nod to the baltimore water company which was the first water municipality um in the United States. So Baltimore is often referred to as the city of firsts because a lot of things happened here before anywhere else. And that was one of them. So that was our cool little nod to history. Uh, but what we learned in the first couple of years was functionally, there's some kind of interesting problems with the name. And when you're at a farmer's market and you have a big tent that says Baltimore Whiskey Company and someone comes up to you and goes, oh, whiskey. And you go, oh, we've got a uh, smoked apple brandy and Szechuan Amaro today. Uh, you get a lot of grumbles and stuff. So uh, we wanted something that would be more explicit in, in kind of what we did because we genuinely care about all the other spirits that we do uh, and work really hard on them. Uh, so we just want to present a little bit uh, less of a conversation piece of a name, you know, get people in there, have them understand what we do and what our focus is. And thankfully, it's a small enough change that it's not like really you're going to confuse any no, of your no. current customers. Logo thinking, is the same. Yeah. Nobody noticed. The move was just the natural time to do it, but we've been talking about it 
since the beginning. You know, we, we wanted to play out and see how the first name would work. Um, but at some point, we, we really couldn't quit kicking the idea around. Uh, it's the same number of letters, which is convenient. You know? <laughs> uh, the acronym's different now. Although, I guess it's not an acronym. It doesn't really spell anything or whatever. Um, so, your, your first whiskey release was a success. Then you had... Yes. How, what batch are you on at We've this had point? four releases, uh, and all of them have been successes. So the first batch was the smallest. That was really, we had about one barrel's worth of whiskey to sell that day, and the uh, and a lot of there was kind of a lot of pre-sale stuff involved in that. So that sold out in about an hour. But the subsequent releases have been significantly more bottles, more like in between seven hundred and a thousand bottles each time, and usually sells out in about a week. Uh, They've been great successes. And the last one was Black Friday, and the one before that was part of our grand opening of the space in September. Are those making it into distribution at all, or is it still we the sent only place out, to get them is here? You know, we sent out a handful of thank you cases um, to some of our you know original accounts um, who just are very good about supporting us and all our other spirits, and they're just good friends of ours. All that stuff is gone, so really the only place to get it is here. It's, I, I don't think I've ever, um, when talking to a craft distillery, asked this. It, is there um, the same flavor profile consistency across all of them? Or is it you're kind of getting a ballpark, but they're still going to be different because of the nature of... Each them? one of our barrels, you would be able to tell explicitly that it is epic rye when you tasted them. But each one of them has a slightly different character. And at our scale, the whiskey that will come out over about the next two years before our... Uh, current numbers start to be in distribution and stuff. Uh, there'll always be a little variation batch to batch, which is also fun because you get to do it. But we've, yeah. we've never had a batch that we thought was an off batch, just somewhere, you know, one barrel had a really uh, expressive nose and we were excited to blend that in. And so one kind of has a, a different nose than some of the rest, but really close, slight variation. Each different barrel is made from a different tree. You know, I mean, there's just so much um, that goes into the flavor profile of whiskey. Uh, even the the season at which you barreled it and we don't barrel we don't bottle everything right at two years we do it in between two and three years we kind of so if something turns two and we don't think it's quite there yet it might be two and a half by the time it makes it into a bottle and so that's going to affect your flavor profile so just a lot of variation but our production methodology is really tight so everything is really identifiable and our whiskey is super unique in terms of yeast and brew profile and grain profile and stuff um that it's very very consistently epic uh, but there is some kind of fun variation we get to play with. Okay. So uh, like a large mass-produced whiskey, would they be the same or is it still the same variations because they're still It depends on the, the size. Um, a Jack, You know, something like Jack Daniels is really reliably exactly like Jack Daniels every time you buy it. And that's because they get to blend from hundreds and hundreds of barrels okay, so they're uh, able to blend to... to a profile very precisely, whereas okay. we're blending three to six barrels at a time. And we maybe get to choose out of, you know, nine or ten at a time which ones we want to do. So that's kind of, it's not the same game, right? Okay. Um, are you holding on to barrels where you'll have like five-year epic, ten-year epic, or is, eventually, or will they be? A, would that be a different? Brand? We've got some cool expressions coming. Um, yes, in the long term, there will absolutely be some some old epic out there, um, but in the short term, even. This year, we will be releasing a, a three-year cast-strength single barrel as a special release. We will also be releasing a few other barrels that are where the whiskey is three years in barrel, but the last year has been a finishing 
barrel. So we've got a, a maple syrup barrel coming and a muscatel oh, nice. barrel and a port barrel uh, in the three year. And we've got some other cool stuff in the pipeline for the year. So in the realm of uh, whiskey aficionados, are those the type of things people chase after? Like those one-off or single barrel? Like Sometimes. I would say right now for Baltimore Spirits Company, the whiskey nerds are just clamoring after Epic in general. Uh, we saw a bottle of Epic for sale on one of the secondary sites for 200 bucks recently, which <laughs> uh, you know kind of cracked us up a little bit. Uh, but we do love that there's, um, you know, it's a commodity. We wish we, we wish we had more of it to sell and we could meet demand. But uh, we're definitely happy that demand is higher than supply and not the other way around. Yeah, that would be a, a, a bigger problem. Yeah. So <laughs> it's really, I think the single barrel stuff is a good reason for people that, that may have really stocked up early on to come back and see what's new. Um, and we always have new exciting stuff coming out and we don't really necessarily do which it. one of those things we will talk about we shortly. Will. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but we don't we don't really pursue them necessarily just as business ventures. We kind of just do stuff where you get excited about. So we were very excited to bring in the maple syrup barrel to put some epic in it, and uh, it's as much for us as anybody else. Um, are there people that come and get every batch that they want a bottle? Absolutely, of every... I think there's people that come and get three bottles of every batch. They may have people the same people have a problem <laughs> that's a lot of whiskey it's a lot of whiskey i think they're i think they're uh i know somebody who buys one one for themselves one to give away and one to stash oh, but well, some people fair, have unopened bottles of each yeah. release and then of course buy another one to drink um you know it just depends how many people you're drinking with if it's one guy who lives alone and has no friends and he's buying <laughs> three of each because he ran out you know <laughs> then he may need some he help may need some help yeah although i i have learned as i've um added drinking spirits into my mix much more than just sticking with beer that bottles do go more quickly than i would have anticipated that they do there's 15 drinks in a bottle that's not a, a ton to get through especially if you're sharing it all yeah um so another thing that's happened since the last time i've talked to you you were named one of baltimore's 40 under 40 by a business journal that's true i couldn't read the article because they have a paywall. A paywall. It doesn't say a lot. <laughs> so, okay. So, it was that just like your the business is doing well. You're yeah. It was very doing- it was very flattering. Um, it's a really wide array of people that get nominated, um, and I think they do a good job of not just choosing from a single walk of what success means. Mm. Um, so we're a small company, but we feel like we're making some really good waves in our industry. And bringing attention to Baltimore and growing, um, both kind of in, in literal size, you know, new new distillery, new stuff, uh, but also growing the footprint of uh, of the brand in the country, uh, opening a lot of new markets this year. Um, yeah, it was very it was a very flattering thing. I'm not sure. I really think Eli Eli could have gotten it, or Ian could have gotten it. You know, our sales guy works as hard as any of us. So I I always thought it would be really cool to be named to one of those lists but i was shooting for one uh, under one i missed (laughs) that one i um but i i've never really done anything successfully and now i'm too old so i I, there's one you're not going to do get on the uh 100 under 100 list sometime maybe or maybe i'll find someone to just make up a list to throw me on to honor me (laughs) you've got me on uh more podcasts than any other person well that i I'm going to make myself an award for that. (laughs) 
there's um but i would imagine it's a like baltimore business journal it's a res- a very respected publication they actually do a lot of great um coverage of alcohol in general they um, do so it, i would say i was, it was a I pretty was big honor very genuinely flattered by the whole thing so who were who were some of the other four like the other 40 that didn't or did you there was uh no i i went to the thing and and i remember a handful of them um the names are not my strong suit but the cfo of uh t row price is under 40 years old and i was just like how do you get there that's that quickly so that's that was insane to me a very good friend of the company chelsea gregoire who owns a um is a consultant for bar programs and will install really high level bar programs around baltimore Made it. I mean, not to um, take anything away from you at all, but that is a pretty wide range. The CEO of T Rowe and so that that is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, Did you get a sash, like a crown? I got. Or uh, I got a plaque that's in the office. Not a. It's like a little, a little clear plastic trophy, I guess. I've also never. Uh, and I got a little those. gift basket with uh, season tickets to the BSO, which was amazing. Um, the Baltimore Symphony it, okay. Orchestra. Once I said, "What is that?" I, Mm-hmm. Yes, well, I should, I should have actually uh, yeah, <laughs> said something. Um, and I'm sure Graham knew right away. He's much more cultured than I am. Mm. It's usually when he <laughs> yells something at me. Um, yeah, but it was great. We had a great little party. Um, you know, group photo, whole thing. And then it was back to work. Well, congratulations. Thank you. So that that covers all of the big sort of event things that have gone really well for you. Mm-hmm. Um now, actually, first, let's we'll take a real quick break to um, thank the Rose House Pub for sponsoring us and continuing to support the podcast. Also, we're going to hear a little bit about the um, Frederick Craft Spirits Festival, which hopefully you will be at again. Um, I don't know if you're we'll officially signed up for it, but I enjoy coming over and drinking some of your product during those events. Uh, so once we... After we hear that, let's talk about Bort. All right. A huge thank you to our presenting sponsor, Roast House Pub, which is located at 5700 Urbana Pike in Frederick, Maryland. If you have listened to this podcast before, you have definitely heard me go on and on about the beer dinners that Chef Nico creates. Simply put, they are amazing. But Roast House Pub has much more to offer. Their friendly staff is knowledgeable about beer and will help you choose from among the 20 beers they have on tap. In addition to the awesome beer selection, the food is always amazing. Make sure to follow them on Facebook and check their website at www.roasthousepub.com to keep up to date on their constant stream of events. The Frederick Spirits Festival is coming back to the Frederick Fairgrounds on April 20th for a day of food, music, and local spirits. Find your inner mixologist with a cocktail mixing seminar with sampling included with a crafting pass or join us for the spirits sampling by picking up a tasting pass. Liven up your liquor cabinet with local Maryland spirits. For more information and tickets, go to frederickspiritsfestival.com. All right, so I think it was episode 71, if I remember correctly. You said this, that was one of the first times you brought it up publicly. Ooh. Yes, the and that was the, the first on-camera or on-mic mention of the Bort Project. So I, and I know all the details about it now because I asked you extensive questions about it but let's hear about Bort let's one hear more it. time because yes. I love this this project and <laughs> um 
Yeah, the Bort Project. So it's not called Bort on the Bottle. I, but, which I, I have to be honest, I was quite disappointed no, whenever no, no. you showed me the bottle. We knew like, that we couldn't call it Bort. Um, why? Why? How did you know that? Because I disagree. Uh, it, we just felt like we needed something else. And also... Um, You're trying to be an adult? No, no, no. Not oh. just trying to be an adult. <laughs> I never try and do that. That happens by accident whenever it happens, which is not often. <laughs> um, no, more importantly, there's... We have one barrel of it. Okay. It's been in barrel for two and a half years. It's not a, there's not a ton of it. Um, and printing labels in really small quantities for one product that's never coming back um, is just not a smart business move. For okay. Us. So with this, so you can. We wanted to create something that we could house all of our one offs in um, and have it be a series. So the singularities, uh, obviously, the name kind of speaks to itself, but these are things that are true one offs. Um, yeah, that we just, we did for, you know, for some reason, there's going to be kind of various reasons they happen, but ideas we had, we thought we were really excited about enough to do them and produce them at a really high level and get them in bottle, but that aren't going to make it into the core lineup that we do all the time. Um, so we did the singularities project and this is singularity number one, but the next one, we have the same labels and we just write number two and we'll write pear brandy. The second one is a, uh, an O de V pear brandy which you can taste as well. Nice. Um, and then we have a number of other ideas that we can go on. So uh, we needed something that was a little more iterative since the Bort was just kind of a one-off thing. But the reason it's called Bort, viewers and listeners, um, is because it's kind of a combination of beer and port. And it said Bort on the side of the barrel for two and a half years. So <laughs> I've been calling it Bort uh, for longer than that because we actually, this is one of the things we did as a moonshining project before we even opened so we had kind of proof of concept when that thing came up. We were all shocked at how good our first stab at doing a fortified malt was because it's such a weird idea. Uh, so essentially, we took some uh, Union Brewing Stout Snow Pants. We distilled it into uh, just a small amount of basically white whiskey made from snow pants. Now, it was a hopped snow pants, so technically it would be a grain spirit with flavors, but essentially kind of a roasted malt whiskey uh, white spirit came out. Uh, we set that aside. Then we brewed on our little uh, brew system, the snow pants recipe again, strained all the grain out, and we had the, the very sugary wort, right, that you would then pitch yeast into and ferment into snow pants. But instead of pitching yeast and fermenting into snow pants, we put the, the very sugary malt wort into a barrel, topped it off with the distilled snow pants uh, to keep it from fermenting naturally because you're bringing it to an alcohol level that would... Uh, keep any bacteria out of it. Uh, and it. And then we let it sit in barrel for two and a half years, uh, which was a very long time. And in that time, you get not only the oak influence and not only development of the spirit, but as you lose some to evaporation, the sugars kind of concentrate a little bit because they're not going anywhere. So it just kind of starts to develop a little bit. Um, and finally released it. It was finally time. I think we, we would have considered releasing it like over summer last year, right at two years. Um, but we were closing and we knew we were opening next to Union. So we thought, hey, maybe for grand opening, we can have this. But, um, you know, a lot of things happen. Yeah. And there's a lot of things that kind of move around timelines. And we eventually decided a good winter release. Yeah, it uh, makes sense yeah. for the. Yeah. Because it, it was released on the same day that Snow Pants came out, didn't it? Or uh, pajama, pajama Pants, pants which out. is yeah, their barrel aged yeah. Snow Pants. So it was a really cool duo release. It's our first collaboration with Union, but it started 
before we even knew we were going to be neighbors. So it's really kind of cool oh, how cool. everything worked out, you know. Um, and it's a little great. Taste of yes. This? So if this is a fortified malt, we believe it's the only fortified malt uh, done in this method in the world. And we've got a couple of spirits that we think are unique in the world. Um, but a ridiculous nose, a ton of chocolate and roasted malt. It's higher I mean, proof. A lot of the the nose almost just smells like a barrel-aged Like stout. a really condensed yeah. version of it, right? And that's the idea. Um, but a great nose, it's not as uh, light in alcohol as port and maybe not quite as syrupy. It's really good. I love this. Yeah. It's super interesting. It's great. We just... Um, I love it when a weird concept creates great uh, results. So would you do anything with this other than just drinking it straight? Or drinking it straight is a good well option, but we think my first idea with it was to start subbing it for sweet vermouth and cocktails because it does kind of fill a similar spot. So uh, a Manhattan, I don't think it's got quite the sugar content as a lot of sweet vermouth, so I was doing more of a half and half with uh, whiskey to make a lovely Manhattan. It's also an interesting concept of Manhattan because then your your vermouth substitute's also made from grain, so you've got a grain spirit and whiskey being mixed with this grain fortified malt sugar. So it's kind of this all grain cocktail, which is um, you know pretty pretty interesting and not not very normal. Uh, and then you could put a capful in an old fashioned. And have it just kind of express that nose over an old-fashioned, which is really, really nice. So, um, because I'm a complete novice, what is a Manhattan? A Manhattan is uh, whiskey, sweet vermouth, and bitters. Okay. And an old-fashioned is whiskey, sugar, and bitters. See, I actually, I went straight from um, not drinking spirits at all. To drinking neat to, spirits. Yeah, just straight. Like, sometimes You know that. Mo- mostly like this. Um, often I'll just drop an ice cube in and then drink because so I, I have no idea. I, uh, gin and tonic is where my cocktail knowledge kind of falls apart. It's a great drink. <laughs> but this is really – and I, I didn't realize that um, – you guys brewed the snow pants yourself. I had always we just did so the first the stuff we distilled we got from Union, yeah. but the the wart we did it on our system. Um, did you just want to do that, or is there a legal reason that you would have to do that? Because we could, could have gotten unferment, more unfermented malt from uh, Union, but it's so little. You know, a barrel is fifty three gallons, and I think we put something like. 30 gallons of wort. I think we have a 30-gallon brew system, so it's probably okay. in between 20 and 30 gallons of wort, which is just union systems too big to have. Yeah, it would you know, be a, a pain scoop for it them off the to top. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we, you know, Eli, being a professional brewer for five years, we have plenty of experience brewing high-quality stuff, and that's, you know, a lot of that experience has gone into our spirits. So we just seem like the easy thing to do and the right thing to do, and we had the capacity, so... I feel like you've mentioned this before, but where did Eli brew at? Eli's the lead brewer at Peabody Heights for the first four years. Oh, okay, or so. that's why Tim. Yes, knows that's him why and Tim and or, is very close. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. I think you did mention that the first time you came on, and he wasn't there, and then maybe even the or the second time you came on, and he maybe wasn't every there. time now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but he, I mean, we can see him there, but he's still not. He's not here. He's there. He's a very busy man. <laughs> uh, the first time I mentioned him, he did bring up how we talk about him every time. He's like time a ghost. <laughs> yeah, he could be listening on his phone right now. 
and somehow know. like you I, I don't know how it's not live so oh. that would be a, that would be a weird that. trick <laughs> weird trick um so there were how much of this made one barrel that which is how many um, about 400 uh so how come union advertised constantly that was 420 bottles well, i said about 400 it <laughs> okay. was actually exactly 420 bottles yeah just by happenstance or because it, that's that's like, just what came out of the barrel oddly enough we weird. did not we, there's no proofing right this is direct from barrel because we're not going to water this thing down yeah. you know um it's weird their address just ended up being 420 the, I think they chose like, the numbers, to be fair. Um, <laughs> 420 <laughs> bottles come out. Does that number mean anything? Uh, I don't. Is it biblical? Probably. That's I'm not really is. sure. And so the actually, I need to finish this first because you you mentioned that there's another delicious yes, I've got thing to try. So yeah, I kind of I brought some stuff out for you. These are all of our. Um, I brought two yearly releases. Uh, so the Pachuga. I know you've had, yeah, but had this that. year's Pachuga, um, we think might even be better than last year's. It's a little smokier and a little saltier, uh, but that just came out in November. Now, if I'm right, is that, um, you're the only one doing that too, right? Correct. A- We're the only people doing Mezcal style apple brandy. We're certainly the only people doing a Pachuga version of that. Um, and it's the only fortified malt in the world. We get a lot of weird ideas. Um, you're just carrying on the Baltimore being the city of first. The city of first, 100%. Um, and a lot of the reason we started this company was to be part of the creative expression of Baltimore, you know, which is a very vibrant creative community. And there's a ton of arts and music and dance and stuff. And this, we feel like what we do is just a natural extension of the kind of creative vibe. So uh, we consider ourselves certainly as much artists as scientists when it comes down to this stuff. So let's talk about um, the little unlabeled jars. The two. Of, yeah. yeah. So I pulled two things out of barrel. One is the uh, green is gold apple brandy, which is coming out in February. Uh, that's a two-year Solera-aged apple brandy. We only do it here, 250 bottles a year. Um, not easy to get a hold of. Um, did you rinse no, with I your can't. water? Uh, I, certainly after the Bort, I would recommend it. These are very clean spirits. And the That's second, why you're the professional. Um, so the apple brandy, which is really, really lovely, and we're excited it's coming out. And we're going to release both of these at the same time, actually, since they're both fruit brandies. Uh, the other one is a uh, pear brandy that we distilled. And that one, that's what I saw fermenting, correct? Yes, last time you were here. So... Um, we didn't kind of go out to pursue it, but we got an email that somebody had a lot of extra uh, Asian pears locally um, and didn't have anything to do with them. So we bought them from him, had our orchard, uh, press all of the pears and took all the pear juice and did a very clean uh, pear brandy expression. But uh, what you're drinking now is the greenest gold. So I brought last year's version. This is the half bottle left <laughs> um, so that you could just kind of see the bottle. But that's straight out of the barrel. So it's a little bit higher proof, although it's barreled at a pretty low proof. It's finished in a uh, French oak port barrel. And this will be the third year drawing out of the port barrel. Um, so not as much port as the first version, but kind of a cleaner apple brandy flavor profile. This is a fun spirit because it's different every year. Um, we never empty that port barrel. We leave about a third of it in there and then top it up with uh, the next barrel down the line and then top that barrel up from the next barrel down the line and then fill that barrel. Uh, so each release is a mix of each previous year's release plus some 
new two-year-old brandy that's been added. That's really good too. Have you ever had anything turn out and you're just like, uh, I can't? Yeah, one thing. It's still in barrel. We check it once a year and continue to make faces at it. Uh, but there's no <laughs> point in dumping it down the drain. <laughs> you know? So it's uh, not great. Uh, and unless it unless it turns great and you never know what the mysteries of a barrel are like, um, it will never come out. So the, But you would be able to, like if you wanted to give up on it, though, you could just re-ferment it just into a... Like redistill it. Yeah, that's not ferment. Yeah, redistill it into a. Our stills can't do neutral. Oh, okay. So we focus on really, uh, you know, two things. On the one hand, we focus on really forward thinking spirits. Uh, Every category we partake in, we feel like we've got something new to add, something to say, something interesting to kind of add to the conversation. It's why we don't do vodka. Vodka is a really good expression of how good you are at your craft, but it's not going to add anything to the kind of vodka world that's not already there. Um, because, you know, great vodka is supposed to be a odorless, flavorless, neutral expression. Um, so, uh, it's very embarrassing on the camera to have you do that. Uh, it had dips on Understood. and I was going to try to not bring attention, like to ask. No, you, no, no. I'll I mean, bring my I own could, attention. I could have just asked you. To um, <laughs> so, uh, one of the kind of, as much as we focus on really forward-thinking spirits, uh, we focus on really old-world distillation. So our copper pot stills are designed after some very old scotch stills that not only are single-pass pot stills, meaning they are kind of not particularly efficient, uh, don't do a good job of separating alcohol and water. They let a ton of this extra dense, complex flavor profile through, which is what we're after. Uh, the style of pot still that we designed and the helmet shape actually kind of makes all of that stuff even worse. So you could design a pot still that could get more neutral than ours, clean up the spirit, but ours are short and stubby and wide, and they just let a like ton me. of stuff through. Uh, you're still shaped man. <laughs> um, so how do you that, make that a good intro for yourself? I was designed after some very old Scotch <laughs> <Yeah>. stills. <laughs> what? So how do you make gin then? Because doesn't gin start as it a- starts as a neutral spirit? Yes. So uh, we bring in the neutral. Okay. Uh, and then we proof it down to 100 proof in the pot stills, uh, add our botanicals to the maceration, let that macerate uh, for about 12 hours, a little longer. And then we distill it uh, off the neutral spirit, which pulls all of those botanicals into the neutral. Okay. Yeah. So we get our spirit from, we get the neutral from places that just do it more efficiently and cleaner and better than anybody on our scale would ever be able to really. Okay. Um, yeah, which is super just normal for the industry for gin. Yeah, that... Um that was something I had learned that like the, those large places that people buy neutral spirits from can produce high quality neutral spirits because neutral at a is cost that a craft, negligent. A, yeah. a craft distiller can't even come close to touching. And neutral is neutral. There's, yeah. and these guys really do. Yeah, that. There's a reason why. So there's just no, no doing it better. And it just does not, certainly not a project worth, worth our time. And it would require a lot of, equipment that we don't have and don't really have plans to get. Uh, so this is the pear brandy. The pear brandy um, was really fun. We'd never done a pear brandy before. It's a lot like apple brandy, but pear brandy has this really lovely uh, new make. It's kind of really expressive on the nose. You get a lot of that it fruit. Is, it is a lot of uh, aroma to it. Yes. So that's sitting at about a uh, hundred proof and it'll get down a little further before bottling, but we're proofing it down really slowly. Um, which is good for the flavor profile and just letting it rest at different proofs um, 
as a good kind of safeguard against some bad things that can happen when you proof down very oily uh, fruit brandy spirits. Uh, but it's really lovely. I had those have some thick oils to it. Oh, yes. And that'll be singularity number two. And you were the first uh, person to hear that outside the tasting room. I've mentioned it a few times, but uh, that'll come out. And I think we'll do the green is gold release and the pear brandy release uh, at the same time. And that'll be our fruit brandy day. That is really good. That is smooth. So what would you do with this? Pear brandy has a long history. So there's plenty of resources uh, for which people to kind of dive in. But, you know, as a sipping spirit, it's really lovely. I think yeah, drinking it from something like a Glencairn that'll concentrate the nose for you and just kind of having it as a late night, you know, brandy style evening dram um, is lovely. But, uh, you know, subbing it for apple brandy and something like a Jack Rose cocktail, which would be grenadine. Uh, and lemon juice or lime juice, depending on where you're looking, um, would work really, really well. So certainly some fun stuff, um, but that'll be another thing that, as far as we know, we'll we'll never do it again. So um, another question I'm going to ask that you probably are thinking you're stupid. Everyone else knows this. Uh, who was Jack Rose, and why is there so much stuff named after him? I don't know. Oh, okay. Then I'm not stupid. <laughs> I will Google that later. Is there stuff named after him? Yeah, it's a very old a- cocktail. There's a the a bar, bar in DC. The bar yeah, in DC is named after the cocktail. Okay, I, think I thought there was are. another another thing named Jack Rose. That I if do. it's alcoholic, my guess is it's named after the cocktail. Okay, it's one of the earliest American cocktails. It's an apple brandy cocktail, which is one of the original American spirits. Um, and certainly around this part of the country, people were doing that even before rye whiskey was was really taken off. It was rum and apple brandy. Okay, so he's probably just some dude that mixed some a cocktail together and people liked it. Sounds plausible. We'll just go with that and yeah, run with it. Sure. And if you've if I've learned anything recently, if you say something enough times, it just becomes true. If even if people disagree with it, so. <laughs> yeah, you should just bring that up every podcast from now yeah. on until hey, you have you a whole following. Jack Rose. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so someone yesterday suggested something that I should just start saying to make it true, and I can't remember what it was. That's something like to build on to me saying that Frederick is the east coast craft beer capital oh yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, i remember you you've brought that up to me I'd, i no, it, it was probably other people no 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 i think you talk i think we talked about no, this a lot on of people, podcast one a lot time. of people talk about somebody, how it's, yeah. <laughs> it was it was definitely a conversation because a lot of people were saying it <laughs> i follow so the the um next thing i want to talk about goes back to the gin because i recently took a gym workshop in I didn't realize there um, there are so many fascinating uh, historical tidbits when it comes to gin, um, and like that how proof the term proofing came about is in the history of gin. Mm-hmm. Uh, for a little bit, you were looking at me like I was making that up. I was like, I'm worried. Do I? Is this no, not, no, 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 no. That makes sense because it's a uh, yeah, Navy strength um, and a hundred proof, which would be known as proof. Uh, were the, or the same thing in, uh, in Engl- the English proof system. So Navy strength and American proof system is uh, 114. But in, in Britain, 100 proof is, is 114 proof here. So, so maybe I will actually then be able to teach you something. Yeah, uh, go ahead. The term came from because English sailors yeah, were, paid in, were paid in gin. So you no, knew I know. the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, I know. Well, you're trying to pretend like it. <laughs> so anyone who I was doesn't getting know. There. Oh, okay. Um, the English sailors were paid in gin, um, and just like we tend to figure out how to rip people off, 
uh, the captains decided that if they started to water down the gin, they would have more gin for themselves and to make it go further. Um, so sailors would pour the gin on gunpowder, and if it lit on fire, it was proof that it was yep. what they should be getting, and if it didn't burn, then they had been ripped off. That is a fact. All right. Yeah, yeah. you've nailed it. <laughs> what else did I learn? There's some other stuff. Well, for there. one, Jack Rose was a guy. Yeah. Who <laughs> he made a delicious cocktail, and everyone... Yeah. Celebrated it by naming it <laughs> after him. This is the whole side of the country is named after him. Some people call it the Jack Rose Hemisphere. <laughs> and then solidly in the middle is Frederick, which is the East Coast capital of craft beer. Mm -hmm. And alcohol production as a whole, as I understand it. I think all, in some way or form, all alcohol originates in Frederick. You guys invented it. Yeah, that was... Yeah. In the 80s. That, it was 1986 <laughs> to be exact. Yeah. <laughs> um. Now I've forgotten all of the other fun tidbits I learned about gin. About gin uh, I know where you're going. So that we may as well just go there. Let's, let's get there. So there is a certain type of gin named Jennifer. Yes, it's the kind of the precursor to gin. So before stills could really make neutral spirit, and gin by legal definition is a juniper-flavored neutral spirit, um, people were still infusing juniper into spirits. Uh, but they'd still kind of have their malt character left, so it was kind of more of a, a white whiskey base. And um, would this have been the Dutch who were doing it and who are really mundo. bad at distilling? Uh, are they bad at it? I don't know. That's what uh, Braden Bumper said. Mm, call out. <laughs> uh, you make some Dutch well, enemies. At least. They're bad at it. <laughs> well, not now. Historically, they were bad at distilling, so they would have a lot of the fusel alcohol, like all the bad stuff left in the their spirits when they were finished so they started putting the juniper in to hide all of the nastiness they might tell it differently probably they just like juniper and yeah <laughs> and well and then apparently there was a lot of it so that's why they started using it sure yes well that that i totally believe um yes yeah, the precursor to gin it's essentially a gin where the base spirit still has the base spirit character um yeah and before you bring it up i'll just break the news there's yeah. you know <laughs> Uh, there's not really news yet, but McClintock Distilling out in Frederick uh, and Baltimore Spirits Company are considering exchanging uh, low wines and doing some collaborative Ginevere projects that we can release at the same time. So sometimes they're kind of lightly aged. Um, I don't know what the oldest Ginevere is. Um, I don't know what the oldest Ginevere is, uh, but some of them are like six months, just a little color. Some of them are white, but they're they're very cool. So we would, the kind of the current working theory and... Um, one that'll still be dialed in because this is not like a next week kind of a plan yet uh, is we would exchange our whiskey low wine. So whiskey that's been distilled a single time given to the other distillery and then they would put their gin botanicals in it and redistill it. Uh, so we would have kind of uh, a McClintock um, a McClintock whiskey Baltimore Spirits Company Jennifer and they would have a Baltimore Spirits Company whiskey McClintock Jennifer. Does that make sense? follow it is a mouthful yes we'll and, dial it in and ladies and gentlemen who has just <laughs> slipped into the frame the elusive eli indeed yep always elusive <laughs> somewhere lurking usually so yeah yeah texting in from afar to the show when Try we're live yeah. <laughs> it's good when you're locked up in the distillery so when you guys come to the distillery it makes it a little easier yeah i i guess you <laughs> 
parted the barrels I a did, little bit yep. so you were able to escape. And yeah, we finally have enough room where I can walk around between the barrels. Don't have to climb up them quite as much. Mm-hmm. So we just tried a couple of things cool. um, over here that you made. Um, actually, I think it, we've definitely talked about this before, but you, Eli, you do most of the distilling, right? Or yeah. Is, uh, yeah, for the most part, um, yeah, Max is uh, helping out when the days run long, but for the most part, I'm the I'm the production guy. So you are responsible for the deliciousness that Indeed. we are trying. Yeah, absolutely. I've, I think with every batch, except for maybe one one round of gin when my son was born, uh, I think I've been involved in everything. That was a hell of a run, yeah. gin. I mean, that <laughs> gin. I mean, I won't say it was the worst one ever, but <laughs> <laughs> that, that one. A lot of people poured those bottles <laughs> out. <or laughs> No, no, Max. Is that I like mean, d- Dutch gin? Because weren't you just telling me how the Dutch were really bad at making gin? <laughs> I've never said such a thing. <laughs> Braden says that. McClintock Distilling hates the Dutch. <laughs> uh, hopefully we can be responsible for an international incident now yeah. also. <laughs> Bring it on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, Max and I, I mean, so we always uh, participate in like development of ideas and recipes and especially... Uh, in, in terms of, you know, because it's just the two of us on, in the, for the most part, um, in terms of production wise, when it came down to like deciding about heads and tails cuts originally, we were, we were all, um, you know, both of us were involved in that. Gathered around the still. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so so um, I've taken a uh, bourbon making class, a whiskey making class and a gin making class now. So if you ever need help here, all right, yeah, um, you can get get my cell phone number from Max and just Perfect. give me a holler, and I'm happy to give you any pointers or yeah, help yeah. that you need. <laughs> Always looking for help. So I know you said it's really early on stages for the Jennifer project, but is that is there any kind of time frame or in there, or is that just? I think we want to get get working on it soon. Um, get it into barrel soon i don't know how long it would age for it's still it's there's still a lot up in the air but you know it'd be cool to um yeah i think some of it will depend on just how it how it tastes as it as it ages and and like whether we want to release some of the white stuff you know the unaged jennifer and then age some of it so we can kind of see the difference there um is another idea but it's all just kind of in the infancy yeah the um what kind of barrels would you age that in or is that it could literally so many, be so many anything. cool decisions yeah, yeah, to make yeah. yeah i think personally this is just thinking of this right now uh, i think our one of our used rye barrels would probably be my my first choice so, okay but that's just a i just thought about that as we were talking about it so well now you almost have to do it i don't know no. but that would i mean that would probably add some really cool flavors into it like yeah and it's um you know it's bringing back our own house flavors and imparting it into something so we love using our own rye whiskey barrels as much as we can because it kind of creates a culture between all the bottles and everything kind of interacts in some way with another spirit in our lineup which is cool uh, that's actually another thing with the pear brandy which is fun was it was a really distinct time where we understood what our house flavors are because you know as a distillery that uses open top wooden vat fermentation we kind of always have our house cultures that live in our fermenter no matter how much we clean them and we, we clean them a lot um, and really well, but you'll never kind of sanitize wood in that way. Uh, and the, the pear brandy, we started to see our house flavors coming out that we could uh, attribute both to like our whiskey profile and the apple brandy profiles and kind of see where they uh, all kind of intersected, which is cool. 
uh, and the barrel is just one more place where our flavor profiles have a cool intersection. Okay. So the McClintock has a very different style still than yeah, you guys. Yeah. Have, have you ever worked on that, made someone that type of still too? Or uh, you Not personally, no. I mean, I came, you know, straight from brewing to to the um, to us. And uh, so these are the only stills that I've really worked with. Um, you know, I understand the principles yeah. of them and everything, but I uh, haven't done any actual distilling on them. So it'll be interesting to, I think it'll be interesting for us to like send something that we started over to them and see how it changes on there still, as well as, you know, the reverse. Um, because, you know, when you're using a more of a column still design, you're getting things out at a specific higher proof, uh, as opposed to us where the proof is changing throughout the run. So it just kind of really lends to a different profile. So it'll just be really interesting to see what happens from place to place. And um, another thing it leads to me just being stupid and not understanding things. Um, but it, it was, I think it was when... Um, I made the hopped whiskey with McClintock that I learned really like I never realized how much flavor was attributed to even the yeast or the type of grain you used. I, I guess I would always kind of foolishly thought that all the flavor came from what happened after the, yeah. the product was distilled. Yeah. I mean, I think that if you go to tours at a big American distillery, they're going to tell you that. 60 to 80% of your flavor comes from the time that it spends in the barrel. But even that means the interaction of those flavors that you created through fermentation and distillation and yeast choice, those interacting with the barrel and the oxygen getting through the barrel. So although they, they say, you know, when you say it like that, it sounds like, oh, it's just taking stuff from the wood. But really, you're, you're talking about the things that you created ahead of time and how that affects what happens later on. So and then for us, especially with our, our pot stills, you're going to end up carrying even more of that character over from the from the fermentation and that's why we tend to focus so much on you know the yeast choice the mash bill is really unique and uh and then the open top wooden fermenters adds an extra layer to that, that you can't get i don't think otherwise so because yeah, what i was astounded by was that there was um a decent amount of chocolate malt used in um the the malt bill for the the whiskey and like there was so much chocolate taste in the finished product. In the singularity, or no, no, no. no I think he's the, talking about McClintock. Yeah, McClintock. Oh, okay, sure, um, sure. There's a couple of roasted, uh, roasted malt whiskeys and stuff out there, but it's really, really apparent when you when you taste a, any spirit that was made from a roasted malt that that flavor is 100 percent part of it. Afterwards. Yeah, I never would have thought that that went through. So it's yeah, it's a cool thing. Like there's just. Spirits are just very complex, way more complex than I ever th thought about. Yeah, it's a deep rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And you got to, you know, if you change anything, you got to think of how it's going to change something two years down the road, too. And, you know, so you got to change gradually. Whereas with a beer, you make a beer and, you know, you turn it around in a few weeks and then you can kind of make some adjustments. Yeah. So it's just, an yeah, interesting, that, it's just an interesting way to have to, to kind of view your production. It, what it, there's that one, it's like King James something, I think it's a cognac or something that's aged 100 years or, <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. Like, the thing, there's like, some crazy there's, brandies and cognacs out there. But right? like the thing about like, that, the people who made that never get to try it. Yeah. Or yeah, even. Yeah. They say you only get, right. you only get two shots at a 30 year whiskey. Yeah, so like, well, even like, yeah, I mean, depending on, lucky. yeah, like, <laughs> I, don't know you, I started when I was 10, yeah. <laughs> but it's so crazy to think, like, I'd never thought about that type of thing before, but it's like someone could 
have been the person who made something, but that they'll never get to actually try it themselves. Yeah, I mean, they'll try it probably during their lifetime well, and you think out about, of the barrel along the way, but never the finished product. And there's a, you know, you read about head distillers changing from time to time. I think Heaven Hill just got a new head distiller. Um, and even though on that scale, I don't think he's doing a lot of the actual distilling. He's going to make a lot of choices between barrels um, that were kind of put away at the design of somebody who's, uh, you know, no longer with us. And, um, and it's, and yeah, you go, you go to cognac production where they have Solera age stuff where, you know, that we do a Solera age brandy where the oldest is now, you know, three years old. Um, but, uh, I had a bottle of Grand Marnier one time that came out of a hundred year old Solera barrel. So it had, a, it had some portion of the stuff in there that was made a hundred years ago. I mean, wow. talking just generations yeah. ago. I meant to ask earlier, what does that mean? Solera. Solera. You want to go for that? Uh, sure. Yeah. I mean, it just means that uh, as we, as you pull out of, say, your oldest barrel, say you're, we're going to bottle out of, um, for our, our brandy, for example, we're going to bottle out of a port barrel, uh, and we'll pull out some of that, and we'll always leave some behind, and then we'll top that up with younger spirit. Okay. So for us, it's only three barrels, but you know, you have uh, like um, cognac distilleries and brandy distilleries that'll that'll do that for you know thousands of barrels and. Hundreds That's of years, you know, hundred yeah. years or something. So, do they have that automated at all, or is that no, literally just not. people <laughs> going through and moving barrels well, around, to pumping and drawing, you know, gravity drawing? But and you know, typically what you would do is uh, you you take out if you take out from your oldest barrel, you would only fill that up from your second oldest barrel, and then you would fill that up from your third oldest, and you kind of step everything down the line. Okay. Um, which is which is essentially kind of how we do it on a very small three barrel system, right? So we didn't, we're not putting new make in the port barrel for next year. We're going to draw from a barrel that's already uh, a year old, totally, and draw that into there, and then leave some in that second barrel and top that up. Is there um, a specific thought process behind doing that, or is it just another way to get differentiated flavors? And yeah, I mean, there's part of it is just the the cool factor of it of always having a little bit of something from an older batch and that means you're always getting a little more age um okay. so a i mean there's definitely a flavor difference as well but um just that that fact that you can have something that a part of it is 100 years old um matters yeah and then the the selection process at the end at the bigger places is can get really complicated too they're not just taking everything from a single barrel like we're doing you know they're going to blend from a whole bunch of different stuff right. so. one scoop from the 100 year old yeah. barrel half a barrel from the two-year-old barrel you know all that kind of stuff um but there's a lot of one of the really cool things about distilling is there's so many variables and so many different decisions to make. Um, and each one of them affects flavor profile, but not necessarily all of them could be considered right or wrong in terms of we do it this way because it's the right way. It's kind of, they're all very subjective, Personal. um, personality based decision making things. So the Solera system is not the right or wrong way to do an apple brandy, but it certainly affects our apple brandy and how we wanted to do it. That's really cool. Yeah. I'd never, neat process yeah all right i'm gonna get elusive again get back out of here all right all right real quick though because yep. we've never gotten to ask you these questions <laughs> okay, good um favorite uh maryland beer because i'm sure you still oh, drink yeah. beer i don't know uh, right <laughs> now at, at this moment what is your go-to beer uh i mean it's not even uh available right now but uh i just i love steady eddie from union so okay being our neighbors helps but uh you know <laughs> I, I just can't get enough of it all right, go hide. All right, thanks. <laughs> <laughs>
I, um, so we've covered everything I wanted to talk about. Do you have anything that I don't know? That you um, we are expanding. So what? Already? We, we are, you just uh, did that. Yes. Well, we're doing a different kind of expansion now. So uh, our footprint is getting a little bit bigger, which is something we're really excited about because this was a, a core tenet of our very early project uh, was that we didn't uh, want to necessarily stay local, right? Like we will always be local to where we are. Uh, but we want our spirits to be far and wide to dr bring more attention to Baltimore, bring tourism to Baltimore, but also just show people the exciting things that are coming out of the city. Um, and 2019 is the year where we're, we're making big strides there. So last year we were available in um, Maryland and D.C. And hopefully by summertime, um, I think we will be available in Illinois, which is available right now. I might you know add, what they so. really hate in Illinois? If you pronounce it Illinois. Oh, well, I will never do that. Yeah, don't I'm not do trying that. to create interstate problems like my <laughs> they, host here. They hate creating. that. <laughs> no, no, no. Chicago. Uh, I was just out in Chicago um, two weeks ago opening the market. It was our first week there. Reception was wonderful. And um, we'll just kind of continue to to be a part of that market and um, and grow. But not only are we doing Illinois, we're opening Louisiana very shortly, California, Washington State. Nevada and Arizona and that's a really big deal to us um, I really love talking about my spirits to people when I'm not local uh, because it's a very different sort of talking and people treat you differently when you're local sometimes in a very good way sometimes in a really bad way where they don't take seriously the local people as big idea people that's just oh, some local guy doing a thing yeah um, so I love presenting our really eclectic spirits halfway across the country and all the way across the country because the reception is kind of just as powerful there as it is here and it's um, very affirmative for us uh, but also that's really the project is to is to make spirits that deserve uh, to be had all over the world so uh, we're kind of super super excited about uh, this next year and, and what comes is it hard to break into those other markets as a craft spirit producer like uh, I think it is um, we we tried very early to do it and with not with not great success um, because it was part of our really early plan. But as we got a little bit older, as our branding developed a little bit more, um, you know, I've gotten a lot better at having our bottles tell the story that I want them to tell about what's inside the bottle. Um, and as our line got a little bit bigger, now we're finding that actually people are coming to us. So all of our relationships have been built from people who really believe in our spirits who want to take them there rather than me going around trying to be a salesman and say, hey, let's sell this stuff in Colorado. You know, so that's how I used, that's how I did it the first year. And then we just took a, a backseat and said, let's focus here for a minute and dial everything up. Um, and now, now that stuff's really paying off. Um, so of all those other states, do they have their own vibrant craft spirit movement? Or A lot of them do, yeah, which is, you know, it's hard not to find that almost everywhere you go in the U.S. now, so 100%. And we're good friends with people in a few different states. And um, when I was in Chicago, I made sure to stop by a, a local place or two and say hi and introduce myself. And, and everybody's doing some great work. Uh, one of the things that we do, you know, when we do the only one of these and the only one of these and the only Szechuan peppercorn based tomorrow out there, uh, but even the stuff that, you know, even our gin is a really unique flavor profile. So we don't compete really one-to-one -one with a lot of people. So we find that having really eclectic stuff at a very high level uh, gets people excited because you don't, you're not, you don't have to kick anybody else yeah, out of anybody's anyone. portfolio. You're just kind of a brand new thing and, and people get really excited about that. So I think that that has 
um, helped us out. So do you find that there is sort of um, the movement of stores and bars wanting to embrace the craft spirit realm more, just like how there's the craft beer movement, people wanting craft, not macro. Is there that same uh, craft spirit in the craft spirit realm, or is it still kind of looked at? Because I've heard that like a lot of... There, there's almost uh, looking down upon craft spirit still as not being as the good. same quality as your yeah. large producers, <laughs> even though there are a lot of places making just as good of a product. I think uh, spirits are different. I think in the beer world, people will take any of the micros. Um, if there's a new one, they'll take it, see how it goes. And it's kind mm-hmm. of what everyone's after. And it's also new stuff all the time. This not Nobody has... Fewer people now have their go-to IPA that they get all the time. It's just I want new IPAs, right? What do you have on tap that I haven't yeah. had? Or, you know, and if they're a stout person, if they want to try all the stouts and everyone's doing new stouts and stuff. In spirits, it's a little different. I don't think that people like that uh, turnover. I think there's a more of a focus on quality. And the craft spirits industry is young, and I don't think it's proven itself enough to where there's an expectation of high quality when a craft spirits producer comes into a, a liquor store and says hey i'm new and i've got a i've got a gin or i've got a rum or or whatever um i think there's legitimate skepticism and i i'm skeptical of a lot of spirits that i drink and i love it when they uh impress um but certainly the experience of them not impressing is not a rare one so we really love to kind of change the perception of that and and we acknowledge that even in private tastings that I'm doing with accounts I'll acknowledge that hey I know we're a small producer and that you've probably had mixed results with that but um, you know I encourage them to take a fresh look and that it goes very well for us I really do believe we do special spirits Um, but I I believe that the industry in total has a lot of dialing in to do and um, there's something sexy about craft distilling and I think a lot of people that start distilleries don't really even drink spirits you know, they just think, oh, well, beer is kind of played out and everyone has one. I'll do a distillery instead and think that they can come in and uh, do it without having developed the kind of sensory analysis skills and the technical skills to pull it off. Um, so it's almost like the late 90s, early 2000s of craft beer. Well, sort of. And there's also a kind of at the very base, there's this different, it's a different world because in craft beer, a craft beer at the beginning was almost always better than the big beer. At least it wasn't like a a super light, dry lager. You know what I mean? That kind of classic American Pilsner. So people would do interesting beers, and a lot of times they were just just better, and it was easy to be better if you kind of knew what you were doing. In spirits making, we're talking about the Hall of Fame spirits makers of the world are all the big distillers, you know? And they have so many resources and rickhouses where they've got barrels that are 20 years old, made by Jimmy Russell, you know, I mean... Yeah, People, I guess it's Hall a, of Fame, they're, they're making the best spirits in the world. Yeah. So if I think if you're going to enter into the spirits conversation, um, you need to find a value point that you think you can actually do better because you're not just going to come in and do better whiskey, you know, not, yeah. not in that kind of objectively better kind of a way. You have to be able to present different value points or do something new. This is kind of all speaks to our project of we only do things where we feel like we have something to add to the conversation. Um, yeah, that is an in, in, interesting distinction between the two, where like your macro, huge com- companies they're doing the best spirits, spirits in the world, yeah, they're, right? Like Lagavulin, they're not making I, a cheap mass-produced product; yeah. they're making a mass-produced 
world-class best. Absolutely, of- right? And they are pulling from so much tradition and history and experience and trying to still speak to the craft drinkers by doing interesting new expressions. I mean, they're, it's just a different world. So if you're going to compete with them, you need to find out what you can do differently, um, if not better. And we always try and do stuff at the absolute highest level and try and do stuff that's not already being done. Awesome. Well, I wish you the best luck in all those new markets. Thank you, Chris. Thank that's you for a, coming down awesome. here. I, it's great. I finally got to uh, talk to Eli. Meet the man behind the curtain. Re- record Eli's voice. Mm-hmm. It's not like he's a made-up uh, figure anymore. No, no, no. Um, so then you're we're going to see Eli on some on some commercial, and you're going to realize he was a paid actor. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Never mind. Um, the, so, same question to you now. What is your favorite Maryland we've, we've beer? We've done this, this before, moment? and we I have, refuse to choose less than five breweries. <laughs> we have to pick one right now. What? A one beer or one brewery? One beer that you're going to drink tonight. You can only pick one beer. You know, I can't get it tonight, but I'll tell you what I am really excited about. Um, Fry's Brewery. Uh, spelled F-R-E-Y-S, uh, out in kind of near Mount Airy or Frederick or Thurmont, somewhere out there. I've, I know I've hidden it on those day They're trips. in the East Coast um, crap beer capital. Um, okay. Uh, so Fry's is opening their tasting room soon, um, and I I've known Adam. I think they've had the soft opening already. Which is awesome. So I, I go way back with Adam. I was one of his very first accounts in Baltimore when I was managing Joe Squared, and he was had okay. just started up, and I went out to the farm and saw – you know, his true in the barn, uh, brew system. And he does, he does some really fun stuff as, uh, stuff is kind of open fermented. It's not, not a sanitary environment, environment fermentation. So all he's got like a true farmhouse flavor profile to his beer. And I'm excited about them getting open and, um, serving again. And I've had, uh, I brought in a ton of his stuff to Joe squared over the years. And I think they're still good partners. Uh, and I'm kind of just excited for him. So I'll give him a shout out. Cause I really love his beer. Awesome. Yeah. I believe I know he's been brewing, um, I believe there was a soft opening recently, or it's coming up very soon. Excellent. I, I do so, follow pretty closely. So on you the, will on the be social. able to get some. Nice. I thank you for having us. Thank My you for um, letting me try the Bort again, even though you're not calling it Bort to my singularity number a fortified malt. It's the elegant. Uh, and thank you everyone for watching and listening. Cheers. Cheers. The Uncapped Podcast is produced by Graham Cullen and me, Chris Sands. Be sure to like us on Facebook, and if you've enjoyed these podcasts, please leave us a review on Google Play or the iTunes Store. A special thanks to Double Motorcycle for providing our theme music. Thanks for listening. Oh my God, that's good.